Luke 12. Last week, we talked about pretty difficult topic, this whole idea. Jesus is saying, how do you deal with hostility? And we said hostility can provoke fear in us, which can then lead to putting on a mask. And that mask, putting on a mask is called hypocrisy. And then we, and Jesus says, don't do that. Just trust me. I'll take care of you in difficult situations. But then we explored that idea of hypocrisy further, not really looking at it tied to persecution for us, but just in general, this temptation that we feel to put on a mask. We talked about three primary masks, the happy face, which says everything's fine, everything's good, an unwillingness to discuss difficult circumstances, the strong face, which can talk about difficult circumstances, but won't talk about how that affects me. I'm, I'm fine. I've got this. I'm not, nothing bothers me. I'm a rock, that type of thing. And then the last one we talked about, which we said is the most devastating, is the holy face. Unwilling to discuss any areas of sinfulness in our life. We never struggle. We never have problems. That whole piece, we said for all of those are devastating. That last one on the right is the most devastating. All of them cut us off from the grace of God. If I'm wearing a mask, then one of the primary means of grace in my life is you. You're not able to do that. You're not able to be a channel of grace to me because you don't actually know what's going on. So I've wound up cutting myself off from one of the primary ways God wants to work in my life. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about something equally uncomfortable. We're going to talk about money, which everybody loves in church to talk about money. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of verses here to set up what we're going to talk about, and then I'm going to give kind of an extended introduction, if that's okay. So this is chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you. So here's the scene. Jesus is walking down the road. Thousands and thousands of people are walking with him, and somebody yells out about this issue. We've got this money issue, and what's caught my attention is why did it get recorded? If there are thousands and thousands of people following Jesus, somebody else yelled out a question. Why does Jesus, one, grab onto this one to respond to, and why does Luke choose to record it? Out of all of the interactions Jesus has with the crowd, why this? And I was thinking about that. Last week, we looked at persecution. Persecution is not necessarily an enemy to our faith, but hypocrisy absolutely is. Hypocrisy is an obstacle to our faith long term, and money can also be an obstacle to our faith long term. And I think that's the connection between these two sections is both hypocrisy and money, for very different reasons, can be an obstacle to us being faithful to Jesus over time. And I think that's why Jesus grabbed onto the question. So you've got a brother saying, tell my brother, you've got to get in the middle of this dispute. The Old Testament already said, here's how you divide property. The older brother gets two-thirds, and the younger brother gets one-third. But Jesus doesn't even engage them on the actual issue. He just said, that's not why I'm here. That's not why I came. That's not my responsibility. And so for us, I want to step back, and I want you to try to, as much as you can, put down your defenses, and I want you to listen to what the Lord would say to you about money this morning, just There's not going to be another offering. We're not passing a plate. There's no pledge cards. I'm not asking you to give. So this isn't on giving. I'll talk about giving for about two minutes, but that's it. This isn't a giving sermon. This is about money and how we perceive money and the role of money in our life. This has much more to do with your heart than it has to do with the the act of giving, if that makes sense. So you can go ahead. Don't worry about that. For some of us, when we talk about money, we can tend to get um, defensive. 
Maybe we don't feel like we handle money very well. Maybe we're embarrassed about our financial situation. And so we can kind of put up some walls. I don't want you poking around in that area. Other people can kind of be smug, honestly. They feel like I've got this, I give, or I'm, I'm set. Neither one of those is helpful because we're, we're not able to hear what the Lord is saying to us. And it's a huge issue in our community. Uh, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll read a lot about this, this God, Baal, B-A-A-L. It's never really explained who he is, but constant tripping up for the Israelites. They were constantly being pulled aside to worship this false god who was very prominent in the area where they settled. Baal was a fertility god, and what he said was, I promise to help you with your crops and with your children. I'll help your land produce crops, and I'll help your women produce children. And we think of that, and there's some pictures of who Baal is, and he, you know, they created these idols around him, and we look at that and go, that's just silly, honestly. Why would you worship that of all things? If Jesus was here today, what he would say to us is, it's mammon for you, or money. It's the same thing. It's another Greek word for money. That's what y'all worship, and you worship because it promises the same thing. What money says is, I'll give you security. That's crops. I'll meet your needs. And I'll provide for you in the future. That's children. That's what money, that's what Baal did, and that's what money does. I'll take care of you right now. I'll give you crops. I'll provide for your needs. And I'll take care of you in the future. That's children in the Old Testament. They didn't have social security. That's why people had a ton of kids. It was because their kids had to take care of them when they got older. And that's the same temptation we feel around money. What money says to us is, I'll do all of those things for you. I can take care of you now, and I can take care of you then. You just trust me. You just trust in me, and I'll make those things happen. Jesus says in Matthew, and he says again in Luke, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And we hear that, we're like, yeah, it is hard for them. For them. We don't, you're rich. We've talked about this before. Let me remind you of how rich you are. Because we need to hear this as important for us. So this is called the globalrichlist.com. You can go type in your own uh, income level, your own salary. If you get bored, you can do that during the sermon. It won't hurt my feelings. If you type in, so this is the median income in Cobb County. So that's the 50%. The 50% mark, $66,525 a year is median income in Cobb County. Some of you do make more than that. Some of you make less than that. But if you make the median, then you're in the top 0.14% of people in the world. That makes you the 8,656,964th richest person on the face of the earth. And you may say, well, there's a ton of people who make more money than that. There's 8.6 million who are doing way better than me. That's true. And there's 7.2 billion who are doing worse than you. We're rich by any global or historical standard. The people in this room, when Jesus says it's hard for the rich, he's talking about me. He's talking about us. I don't say that. It's not a condemning thing. It's just we need to hear what he's saying about money because it applies to us, and we tend to say it applies to someone else. Most of us define middle class in a way that we fall into that number. And rich is above us. 
no matter what that is. When you were in college, you probably thought rich was someone who made $35,000 a year. You're like, man, if I could do that. And then once you made that, guess what you did? You said rich is someone who makes $75,000 a year. And then once you made that, you said rich is someone who makes 100. And we just do that. When it's us, we don't, we don't feel rich, particularly in this place where we live. And so it's easy for us to miss the warnings that Jesus gives about wealth. And it's also easier for us to miss what he says to us about how he wants us to use our wealth. So again, don't get defensive. Don't be smug. I just want you to hear what the Lord is saying. And there is no gotcha at the end. I'm telling, like there's no, there, there's nothing at the end where I'm going to ask you to do anything and you're going to be like, oh, you tricked me about that. That's not what we're doing here at all. All right. Here's what Jesus says about money. Watch out. So this is his response to this guy. Tell, tell my brother to give me my money. Help him. Tell him to divide the inheritance. Jesus says, that's not my job. That's not what I'm doing. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Everything that we're going to look at today comes out of that verse. Two words to us. One, watch out for all kinds of greed. Greed is the desire for more even when you have enough. None of us want to be greedy. Greed is the desire for more even when you have enough. And then the second word he says is life does not consist in how much you have. If you're allowing greed to be a driver, it's going to cause you to count the wrong things. It's putting the wrong score on the scoreboard. If greed is the driver, all you're looking at is what you've got. Life is about more than that. That's not the way we grade how well your life went. That's not how we grade success in the kingdom. It has nothing to do with how much stuff you have. Then Jesus told this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards the Lord or towards God. So here's a parable. So this is a made-up story that teaches a spiritual truth. So this truth that Jesus is teaching through this parable is watch out for greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Here's an example. So we have a man who's rich, and then he gets richer. He has a bumper crop, an abundant harvest. And the turning point in this parable is verse 17. Being rich, not necessarily an issue. A rich person having more, not necessarily the issue. The issue is in verse 17, what shall I do? When the rich man asks that question, that's the pivot point in the story. What shall I do? He doesn't consider God and he doesn't consider his neighbor. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love people. This guy doesn't consider either one of those in the equation. He says, what shall I do? Hey, I've got a great idea. I'll keep it all for myself. I'll just make bigger barns. Why? So I can retire. That's what he's doing. He's saving it up for himself so then he can kick back and relax. He doesn't have to work anymore. He's set for life now. And that's what he says. I'm just going to enjoy what I've got. He never asks the Lord. Nowhere do we see. He prays. He doesn't talk to a rabbi. He doesn't talk to other 
friends. He doesn't read the Old Testament. He just decides, this is what I'm going to do. There's no loving God in there. There's no sense of, God, what do you want me to do with all of this that you've given to me? This day and time, there were this many landowners, very few, and there were this many peasants, a ton. Most of them were living hand-to-mouth, day-to-day. They don't enter into the equation at all. There's nothing here that says, I wonder if there's anybody I should help with this. You could actually say, on some level, he's actually he's hurting them because rather than releasing this excess grain into the market, which would drive the price down, he holds it back for himself. Until maybe the supply dwindles. And then he can release it. I don't know if that's what he was doing. But he definitely is not considering the welfare of his neighbors in his decision making process. That's the pivot point. And then God pulls the curtain back and we can see the folly of that. He says, you're a fool. That's what God says to him. Imagine God saying to you, you're a fool. You're someone who's lived your life without any... uh, Without involving me at all, that's what a fool is. Someone who lives life, makes decisions without God in the mix. That's what you've done. You've made this decision without me in the mix. And tonight your ticket is going to be punched. You're done. Then who gets to enjoy this? Answer, not you. You don't get any of it. All of this stuff that you either worked for or received, these barns that you, all of that, it's for nothing. And not only is it you don't get to enjoy it, you haven't used it in a way to position yourself for eternity at all. You're a fool. And then the the behavior, so if the parable is to illustrate, watch out for greed, life doesn't consist in abundance of possessions, then what's the behavior for us? How do we do that? Don't store up stuff for yourself. Be rich towards God. That's the behavior that Jesus is trying to emphasize. Don't do what this guy did. Don't take what you have and say, it's just for me. Make sure that you're being rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? It means to give. I told you I talked for two minutes about giving, and I will, just um, briefly, if that's where you're wrestling, uh, either individually or as a family. If giving is an issue for you, I'd encourage you to read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 this week and wrestle through it. There's a lot there that will be very, it's difficult for me, and I imagine it will probably be difficult for you as well to actually get your heart around what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But here's a couple of bullet points from those two chapters when you're thinking about what does it look like to give as a follower of Jesus. From 2 Corinthians eight twelve, you give based on what you have, not based on what you don't. So there's no looking around, there's no comparison. When we get later on in Luke, we'll see at some place there's a lady who gives two cents, like literally two cents. And Jesus says she's giving more than these guys who are given hundreds of dollars. Only in the kingdom of God does two cents equal more than $200. But it does because she's giving out of her lack and they're giving out of their excess. So what that says to us is what God doesn't care what your neighbor's giving. All he cares about, what are you doing based on what you have, not based on what you don't. So you don't need to compare Numbers, if you feel um, guilty about doing that. Second Corinthians 9-7, you give intentionally and joyfully. I'm not a tithe guy. Some people are. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I feel like tithing, that's giving 10%. Is it rooted in the Old Testament law? We don't live under the Old Testament law any longer. And so I don't think that we have to tithe. I don't think that's the standard for Christians. We're, we're to give generously, but you've got to decide. 
That's what 2 Corinthians 9-7 says. You decide in your heart what you're going to give. So that makes me think, well, there wasn't a standard for everybody then. So between you, if you're married, you and your spouse and the Lord, y'all decide. What's God asking of us? For some of you, it'll be less than 10%. For some, it'll be 10%. And for some, it'll be more. But again, it's based on what you have, not based on what you don't. You give joyfully, not out of guilt. You don't even give because there's need. You give joyfully in your heart, definitely not just out of obligation. And then this last one, this is the tough one. It is very offensive, I think, for us as Americans. It runs against our understanding of wealth. If you read Second Corinthians 8 and 9, you'll think... And there might be some truth that God's a bit of a communist in some ways. Because he says, I'm not, I don't want you to have a lot and them to have a little. And I don't want them to have a lot and you to have a little. He says, I want there to be equality is the word that he uses. That's what, that's communist. I want there to be equality. He don't want the state to control everything. But his expectation is, I've given more to some of you, not so you can have more, but so that you can give some to people who have less. What we tend to think is, you you ain't given me anything. I worked for it. I went to school, and they were goofing off. I've, I've busted my tail to get where I am. None of this is a gift. And you're wanting to kind of redistribute that to people who, have, who are goofing off or haven't worked as hard or aren't as smart. And that chaps us. Read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's, it will challenge the American mindset. Of wealth and this idea that God has given some of us more in order that we can then give the the more to those who have less. Again, read those. It's more than we can talk about this morning, but that's just out there for some of you. That the actual mechanism of giving may be what's hanging some of you up. That's what it looks like to be rich toward God. There's a brief overview of that. We'll probably look at that some more a little bit later in Luke when Jesus talks about money again. So for us, back to the Story. So here's the parable. Here's the behavior. This is how it will be for whoever stores up anything for themselves but is not rich towards the Lord. Then Jesus says this. Therefore, so because we need to look out for greed, because our life does not consist of an abundance of possessions, because it's not good to store up stuff just for ourselves, because we want to be rich to God, here should be our approach towards money. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than them. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? The answer is nobody. Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow, for they don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. So what Jesus says, he's brilliant here. So he starts with a rich man. So out of the thousands and thousands of people who are following him, when he begins that parable and says, a rich man, they all say, not me. That's not me, just like we do. That's not me. I'm not a rich man. And he tells the story, and at the end, they're all going, yes, those greedy rich people. Tell them to give more away. That's what they need to do. That's what they need to do. And then he kind of hits the rest of the crowd with this hammer. He expands it and says, none of you need to worry. Worry is anxious concern that's rooted in a fear of the future. 
anxious concern rooted in a fear of something bad happening in the future. That's what worry is. There may be something out here on the horizon that's not going to be good, and that causes me anxiety now. That's the definition biblically of worry. And what Jesus says is none of y'all need to do that about your life. What's one of the greatest temptations to keep money for yourself? Fear the future. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's take responsible planning and put it over here. We don't have time to talk about that. And let's just talk about this idea that says, I don't know what's going to happen, and I've got to be prepared for every scenario. I've got to be prepared for every worst-case thing that may happen. And so that tempts me to hoard. That tempts me to build bigger barns. That tempts me to build up my nest egg. That tempts me to say, I'm going to do more for myself, not because I'm rich, but because I'm worried about what may happen in the future. Some of you have whiplash from the last seven or eight years economically, what's happened. And what that may have done is caused fear to stir in your heart. You're like, I'm never going to go through that again. I will never experience that again. And so it's causing you to be really tight with what God has given you. Again, there's responsible planning, and then there's acting out of worry and fear. And Jesus says, don't do that. All the rest of you, I'm not just talking to the rich, I'm talking to all of you, men, You make a living. The way you contribute to the house is you go out and you farm. Life is more than food. Don't worry about it. Women, you contribute to the house by making clothes. You sew. Life is more than clothes. Don't worry about it. And they're going, how can we not worry about it? Isn't that our responsibility? And he says, multiple reasons. Don't worry because life's more than that. Don't worry because worry doesn't do anything. Worry doesn't change your circumstances a lick. Worry doesn't contribute anything positively or productively to your life. Worrying, you can't even add an hour to your life from worrying. So why are you worried about all this other stuff? It doesn't help at all. And don't you know you've got a father in heaven who knows what you need? Pagans act, pagans worry because they're not, they don't know, they don't have a relationship with their, with the father. They're on their own and they know they're on their own. You're not. So don't live like you're on your own. There's no reason for you to engage in life in that way. And then he says, here's a better way of living. Verse 31. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where anything... No thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. So he says, here's another way of living. You don't want to just build bigger barns for yourself. Not good. You want to be rich towards God. You don't want to worry and be chasing after all of this stuff, feeling like everything depends on you and you've got to have every possible contingency planned for. You don't need to do that. The way I want you to live is I want you to seek the kingdom first. I want, you to, I want you to pursue the things of God. I want you to be about primarily his work in the world and how you engage in that, how you participate in that. That's priority number one. So think about that. Those of you, like, you feel responsibility to take care of yourself and your family. And that's good and right. And what Jesus says, and it's not number one. It's not. What does he say in Matthew 6.33? Seek first the kingdom. That's what's first for us. God, what are you doing and how do I engage? 
I know that you're a good father and you're going to take care of me. And life is about more than food and clothes. Life is about more than my necessities. So how do I engage with you? How do I prioritize in my own heart, in my own life, with my own resources, your kingdom first? Doesn't mean you you get to not show up to work tomorrow and call your boss and say, I'm seeking the kingdom. Then he's going to say, seek another job is what he's going to say. That's not most one of the primary ways God provides for us is through our work. But it does mean you don't have to take every promotion and you don't have to take every overtime shift. And your identity is absolutely not tied into how much you make or what you earn. You don't have to spend every night going over the books. At some point, you say, God, I trust you to take care of us and I'm going to let go of this. I'm going to trust you to take care of us. I'm going to let go of this, and I'm going to give myself to these things over here that are eternal. I'm going to be willing to sell. I'm going to be willing to give. Why do we do those things? Because you're providing purses in heaven. You can actually see it as a better investment. Here's the one place where the stock market doesn't crash. Here's the one place where gold doesn't lose its value. Here's the one place where you, where land doesn't become devalued either. It's in heaven, whatever you're investing in. That investment is not as secure as forever. That investment is not as secure as eternity. And so the way we invest in eternity is by being rich towards God. It's by giving to the things that he cares about, helping other people. That's the type of thing that causes us to seek first. That's an expression of seeking first the kingdom. And what Jesus says, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, But if you've wrestled with it, he says, where your money is, your heart is. Your heart follows your money. We tend to say, well, my money follows my heart. I give to the things I believe in. And what he says is, "Eh -eh." your heart follows your money. That's the way it works. And so, and you know, if you're honest, you know this to be true. If you invest in a stock tomorrow, what are you going to start doing? Tracking that stock that you didn't track last week. You don't suddenly, It changes that way. You care. You literally have skin in the game. And so you care what happens to that company. And you didn't care about it a week ago or a month ago. That's where your money is. And so your heart, your attention, your focus begins to follow your money. And so what Jesus is saying is that's true. So let's put your money into these things where it's worth your heart being. Let's put your money into these things that are eternal and permanent and truly significant. And then your heart will follow after those. That's good. That's where you want your heart to be. Those are purses that don't wear out. We're uh, we're going to wrap up here real quick. There's um, I don't know that there's a lot of translation that needs to happen because we live in a society where money is a huge issue for us. But I did find here's five commands that I saw throughout this passage. And what I'm going to ask you to do is grab onto one. So here's a little explanation. Be on your guard against greed. Again, this is something that's none of us necessarily want to be greedy, but do you have a desire for more even though you have enough? Don't worry about having enough. This is hard for a lot of us, especially if you feel like you're the breadwinner in your family. That can be hard. Don't worry about having enough. Are you concerned, anxiously concerned, which is rooted in fear of what might happen in the future? Seek first the kingdom of God. Prioritize and focus on his mission in the world, not taking care of yourself. Don't be afraid. God's given you everything. So how much more will he take care of your needs? He's given you his kingdom, which is eternal, so you can trust him to give you the food on your table. Sell, give, provide. That whole idea of using your money to help others, and in doing so, you're investing in eternity. So this next slide. So here they all are summarized. 
And this is how I want us to close. You look at those real quick, and I want you to grab the one that you struggle the most with. Which one of those would you say right now is the most difficult for you to implement and live out in your life? Now we're going to pray. So you have that in your head. And if you're willing to pray along with me, you can in your heart. God, I confess, and then you fill in the blank, whichever one of those you grabbed onto. And I don't want to live that way any longer. And so I'm asking for you to speak to me now and to show me why I wrestle with this. God may be bringing something up in your mind. And then show me what faithfulness looks like in this area. There may be something very practically kind of popping into your mind. God, my desire is to be obedient. So I'm asking that you would give me grace to do so. Thank you for all that you've given me. For some of you, even that statement may be hard again because you think about what you've earned and that you don't feel like it's been given. If you've ever worked in a garden, think about how hard you work. Now multiply that out to a farm, how hard those guys work. But ultimately they know if it doesn't rain, we got nothing. Look at what's happening in California. If there's no rain, there's no crops. There's a recognition there of dependence. That's why it's hard for us as rich people sometimes. It's what makes it difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. If you're poor, not not college poor, but like real poor. No credit card, no parents to call, no friends. Those people we saw in the video, if that's you, when you're there, it's easy to say, I need a Savior. I need help that only God can provide you've got it all buttoned up and squared away when money is telling you I, we're taken care of I can go. we can go a year without a paycheck we've got the retirement already taken care of we've got great insurance if all of that falls through we've got people who love us and will take care of us again there's nothing wrong with wealth other than it makes it difficult for us to recognize our need it makes it easy for us to live independently of the Lord heart you're saying God my desire is to live obediently with you before you with everything that you've given to me and recognize that it's a gift I've worked but you gave me brains I've worked but you've given me health I've worked but you've given me an education I've worked but you put me in a family that supported me as I pursued this that or the other I've worked but I was born in a country with a great educational system so I recognize that what I have, even though I've worked, ultimately is a gift from you. It's the, the breath in my lungs. It's a gift from you. And so I want to give it back to you. So just covenant, commit in your heart. That's an easier word. Commit in your heart. 
to obedience in that area. God, my prayer for us as your sons and daughters is that we would do well with everything that you've given to us. God, I thank you that there are rich people in this room. And my prayer is that they get even richer. Somebody's going to be wealthy. I just assume be the people sitting in here. They've got good hearts. They're going to do the right stuff with what you've given them. And I pray, God, that you would speak very clearly to singles. You'd speak very clearly to husbands and wives about what faithfulness looks like with everything that you've entrusted to them. You're not looking for martyrs. You're not looking for heroes. You're looking for faithful children. So speak that, God, into us. Show us what that looks like. And on the front end, we say, yes, we'll, we'll do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's how we're going to close. We're going to have ministry teams here up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. I want to pray for two groups in particular. Don't necessarily tie these back into the message, but I want you to, if you fall into either of these two categories, we want to pray for you. One, if you're a business owner, whether that's a small business, medium, large, whatever, if you own your own business, we want to pray for you, and we're going to pray that God would bless you in the leading and running of that business. If, uh, maybe if you look back, maybe in the recent past or maybe in the distant past, you had maybe what you would call a financial trauma, something happened to you around money, and it's really affected you. And the, I, it, it's hard for you to think about trusting. It's hard for you to think about not fearing. It's hard for you to think about God's going to take care of me because you had this experience back here that's still fresh in your mind. We want to pray for God to heal you of that just so you're not bringing that past into every decision that you're making now, if that makes sense. So that we'll pray with anybody about anything, but if you fall in one of those two categories... Uh, please come forward. So that's people who are own their own business or people who would say they've suffered com- some type of financial crisis or trauma in the past and it still haunts them in some way. So you guys can stand. Ministry teams, if y'all could come forward. And if you're, if you're on the ministry team but you're not up this week, if you come forward, that'd be great. We probably have multiple people who own, own their own business and so we want to make sure we've got space for everybody to be prayed for. Bo will dismiss us after this song.